Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you, Raymond. Um, I think there isn't a better way to uh, welcome a Methodist preacher than by singing, And Can It Be, accompanied by a Methodist organist on a pipe organ. <laughs> so it was, a, it, it was a joy to sing that. Um, I'm going to be speaking today on, um, right through the series on the book of Acts. And uh, this message actually uh, started as an introduction to another message. And it was so intriguing that I began to develop it. Um, it it's, it's looking at the amazing variety, the way in which God prepared the church to be this uh, movement that was missionarily uh, motivated. And um, so it's talking really about the church of God uh, in showing uh, the different people, the different ways in which the church goes out. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot of um, um, problems with the church, and some people are disillusioned by the church. Um, but God has worked through the church, and that is still the way he works. Um, someone, uh, an early church father, uh, once said that uh, the church is like Noah's ark. Uh, you couldn't stand the smell of it if not for the judgment on the outside. Uh, even though it may not be the best representative of, um, of Jesus, it is the representative of Jesus on earth. And God works through this church. And today we are going to look at about 13 chapters in, in the book of Acts. It's a wild ride that we are going to take uh, and, um, um, and look at how God prepared the church to become a missionary movement. Um, I'm going to read just the first chapter where you see the foundation uh, laid for this great work, uh, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 1 of uh, Acts. <clears throat> In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, G and he said to them, It is not for you to know uh, times or seasons uh, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> So here you see Jesus laying the foundation uh, for the world mission of the church. He gives what has been uh, now called the Great Commission, saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, they will be witnesses, they will receive power, and they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
In chapter 2, we have the power received by the people uh, and the Holy Spirit comes. And right at that time, uh, the, the gospel is preached for the first time by Peter in Jerusalem. In chapters 2 to 6, you see the church uh, learning what it means to be the body of Christ, encountering sin, uh, experiencing persecution, and how, learning how to respond to that. And, uh, <clears throat> and the pattern, uh, a, a body is ready now for God to thrust it out into missions. Uh, and now we are going to look at how the, mission, the church went out. And the first thing that we see happening in this great missionary movement uh, after chapter 6 is the ministry of Stephen. Um, and I've called this ideas and emphases, how the church, um, that God gives certain people ideas or emphases which thrusts the church forward into something new and exciting. Stephen gave a theological base to the mission of the church. Uh, if you remember his speech, which enraged the people, uh, it, it was, people were so upset by it because the two things that he emphasized was, first, that the temple was not necessary, that God can be worshipped outside the temple, and that God worked outside Jerusalem, and he did great things to the people outside Jerusalem. And what Stephen helped to do is to free the church to go to the world. It unshackled the church from Jerusalem. And, um, and uh, the church um, took that cue. Of course, Stephen was killed for that, but, uh, but, but he took, uh, the church took the cue and went out. Uh, a little later in chapters 10 and 11, a similar thing happens with Peter. When, he has, when he's in Joppa and his mind is changed, through a vision, and then he goes uh, to the home of a Gentile, and they realize that Gentiles also can become Christians. A similar thing happens also with Aquila and Priscilla, who, uh, who encounter this teacher called Apollos, and his understanding is not, is not yet complete, and so they teach him the full way, and, and then Apollos becomes a great teacher. So ideas and emphases is one of the ways that God t thrusts the church out. And today we have think thinkers, theologians, strategists, people who are open to hearing from God, um, not, not new revelation, but new implications of the revelation that is already there. God has spoken, but very often because of our cultural blinds, we are not open to seeing all the, the richness of what God has said. And these people um, open themselves to that. And they see the bold implications of scripture. Um, and, um, um, and out of their own experience, out of their own culture, out of their own study, they are open to this. Uh, one of the great names in missions was William Carey, uh, who was open. Uh, and he wrote this tract uh, about how we have to use means to go uh, to, to, to preach to those who do not know Christ in, uh, in non-Christian lands. And, um, and so that was one of those thrusts forward as a result of his discovery. Um, uh, and this has happened at different times of the church. Uh, in, in Lausanne, for example, in 1974, uh, the church, the evangelical church had been grappling with how can we combine social concern and evangelism and 
and you know there was a, the, the battles the battles had gone on between social concern and evangelism uh, in the early part of the century then evangelicals began to realize that no this is also an aspect of god's mission and at lausanne 74 came the lausanne covenant whose chief architect was uh, john stott and out of that came a clear explaining of what this meant and that opened the door for the church to to think more biblically about the full aspects of the mission of the church at that lausanne conference also was introduced the um, uh, the, the concept of unreached peoples which became became one of those things that drove many people there are so many unreached peoples in the world we must take the gospel to those people um, i remember <clears throat> going to one of our newest new centers about 20 years ago uh, in youth for christ and uh, they had just started actually they came to one of our camps some young people came to one of our camps got all fired up and decided to start a youth for christ ministry um, in their town and they called it youth for christ without even asking our permission and then of course our, our staff began to go and and uh, little by little uh, that work um, became an official chapter of Youth for Christ. And I made my first visit to that place, and I was going to speak at a meeting. It was an evangelistic meeting. And um, the, at the start of the meeting, now this was about 20, 25, uh, no, about 30 years ago, or oh, no, 25 years ago. Uh, and, um, and um, you know, um, they, they had about 20, 30 minutes of worship and all the people there were not Christians. They were not from Christian backgrounds. A lot of them were from Hindu backgrounds. And, um, and I thought to myself, this is not Youth for Christ. You know, Youth for Christ starts a program with having some crowd breakers. You know, you have some fun and laugh and joke and, and you know, just get the people uh, relaxed before you give them the message, get them open uh, to, to what they were going to hear. And I thought to myself, this is not Youth for Christ. But because it was my first visit, I decided not to say, say anything. But we soon, soon learned from that brand new uh, place that worship can be a very important means of attracting Hindu young people to Christ. They have wonderful music and, um, and um, beautiful music, uh, but they don't have the, the vibrancy of worship that we have. So when uh, worship is done using their kind of music, but with the vibrancy, of a communion with God, suddenly we realized this is a means of evangelism. And we learned it from a group that fortunately had not gone through all the comprehensive training that Youth for Christ does to its workers. Thank God for that. So, so new ideas coming from people out of their special experience, out of being open to God and his word, they see some implications which, which become uh, things that the church can follow. So that's the first of the uh, things. Then came the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, Stephen, of course, is killed. And, um, and then out of his death came this circumstantial thrust. Uh, it was not planned. It, it was not decided that they will go out. But in chapter 8 and verse 4, um, um, we are told, uh, and verse 1 actually, we are told, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the church went out, not because they had planned, 
They didn't go as missionaries. They went as refugees. But in God's eyes, these refugees were actually missionaries. Because they took the gospel. Verse 4 tells us, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. These people went and took the gospel. And, uh, and later, Paul uh, Luke, uh, writing with the benefit of hindsight, was able to see that this scattering was actually the scattering of the seed of the word of God. And so the word he used for scattering is the word diaspero, which is the word used for the scattering of seed. They went as refugees, but in God's economy, actually, they were missionaries. And, um, and so in, in the Bible and in the, and, and the history of the church, very often, suffering is one of the important keys to the growth of the church. Uh, I had a teacher in theological college called Robert Coleman, and he would tell us that one of the things that people are neglecting in church growth studies, I, I studied during the time when the church growth became one of the big uh, areas of study. Everyone was talking about church growth. And, um, and he said, one of the areas that we have forgotten, that we are neglecting, is the important part that suffering played in, uh, in the growth of the church. And, um, and actually today many people read these passages in the Bible, especially in, 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 uh, in the epistles of, uh, of Corinthians, uh, of, of Paul, where he talks about all the sufferings he went through. Uh, and we read it with academic interest. Oh, this is what Paul went through. Almost as if to say, well, that's not for us. Today we are, we are so thankful. Thank God we don't have to suffer like these people. But actually, history tells us that before there was growth, there was also suffering. Uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, uh, Though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed every day. Today, if someone said something like that, we would ask that person to repent, saying that he's doing something wrong by not looking after his body. Uh, but but this, is the, uh, this is the way the church grew. Um, the, the, the West is quickly becoming an unreached area as less and less people are going to church. And how is the West going to be reached? I'm sure there are many things that are going to be very important in re-evangelizing the West. But Bible and history tells us that if the West is going to be evangelized again, suffering is going to be one of the keys. And those who have a burden for the West better get ready to suffer. Uh, in, um, uh, there was an article that was put in the magazine, in the, in, the, in the book that was produced for this conference. It was an article that I wrote for an American magazine called Christianity Today about suffering. I wrote that just after I had spent a week in the deep south of Sri Lanka where new Ventures for the gospel have been going on and people have been coming to Christ. And um, I, I found out as I was talking to the pastors who had come for my, uh, for my course that I taught there that usually it takes about 10 years before they can establish a work. About 10 years. Um, they, and during those 10 years, uh, they are stoned. Uh, their homes are stoned, they are assaulted, their children are abused. I mean, abused in the sense they are assaulted or, uh, you know, given things like that. Uh, stories are spread about them. Uh, people come uh, to church for the wrong motives. 
and caused them great disappointment. So it takes about 10 years before the community around realizes who these Christians are and, and, and a church is able to be established. But during those 10 years, many people give up, saying this is impossible. And um, uh, those who stuck to it, however, have reaped a great harvest. Uh, while on that trip, I, I, uh, I st uh, stayed in the home of a pastor uh, who, had, um, who had come to one of these towns where there were hardly any Christians, and he had started his work, and he encountered immense opposition for several years. And the people got more and more uh, critical of him until uh, finally they hatched a plan where they sent a child to his house and then the child accused him of sexually abusing him, this little boy. And he was arrested and it was a Friday so that he can't be released on bail until Monday. So he was kept that weekend in, um, in, in, in the lockup and uh, the head of his denomination came and um, tried to get him out, but he couldn't find a lawyer who was willing to appear on his behalf. Finally, they found a Muslim lawyer who said, I'll come and appear on his behalf. And they got him out. And, and this pastor said, I will not. I, I, I cannot stay here. It's too much shame. The whole community, you know, in our communities, when something like this happens, everyone knows. The whole community knows what has happened. Uh, and, and they will all think that I'm a sexual abuser. And he said, I cannot stay. And the leader of the denomination said, just stay for a little longer, because you know that when you came here, God had sent you. But he didn't leave his house for about a month, though I can't remember how much, but for about a month, he did not leave the house. He just stayed in the house, ashamed. Finally, he went back slowly to his work. And then the tsunami struck. And... During the tsunami, there were several churches that were destroyed. But it so happened that in that village, water came to the whole village, almost the whole village. But this church was at an elevation, and so it didn't come to the church. So the whole village came for refuge to the church. And among those who came was the person who had hatched this plan to, dis uh, to put this man into disrepute. And his wife and daughter and son had died. And he gave, he brought his daughter weeping. And he told the pastor, please look after my daughter. And um, little by little, the doors began to open. And today they have a large church in that place. And usually when churches come up, it's almost impossible to get land, to get permission to build the church. Uh, and burial is a huge problem because they won't allow you to bury in the, in the village uh, burial place. And the government has given this man a plot of half an acre of land and said, you can have your burial, your church, and everything in this place. But before that happened, the suffering had to take place and the price had to be paid. The third uh, thing that we see is witness. We are told uh, that uh, in verse 4, that those who went, uh, chapter 8 and verse 4, those who went, uh, were, were scattered, those who were scattered, went about preaching the word. They were witnessing. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. Now here you see them doing it. 
there was a, a well-known preacher some years ago called R.A. Torrey. And R.A. Torrey was preaching a series of meetings, and there was one person he saw who had come for all the meetings. He was a lawyer. And at the end of the meetings, he went up to this lawyer and he asked him, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. And then he said, are you bringing others to Christ? He said, oh, no, no, that is your job. That is not my job. And, uh, and then um, he said, um, I think you're mistaken, sir. Just, just, just read Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. So he read, those who were scattered abroad went about preaching the gospel. And then he said, yeah, yeah that's right. Preachers like you, they went and preached the gospel. And then um, he said, why don't you read verse 1 of this chapter, of chapter 8? And it says, um, and they were scattered, all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. In other words, the preachers stayed at home, and the lay people went out and preached the gospel. All of us are not evangelists, but all of us are called to be witnesses for Christ. Uh, now, I must say that I'm a, I, I, I tend to get very nervous when, when I go to witness to somebody. And uh, I found uh, a listing uh, in, in a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Mark Mittelberg and Bill Hybels. I found that very helpful. It talks about the different kinds of witness that you find in the New Testament. And uh, he said there are six styles of witness that, that are shown here. The first is the intellectual style, which is, was the style of Paul, who, uh, um, who uh, argued for the truth uh, in places like Athens, uh, where he uh, gave reasons why people should accept Christ. And some people are called to this apologetic style of, um, of, of witness. Then there is the confrontational, where, uh, which, which was the witness of Paul, who, who said, you... You killed the prince of life, but God raised him up. And there are some people who have this gift. My mother was a person like this. I remember one day when I was a little boy, some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses came to our house, and uh, I asked them to sit down, and I was really nice and polite to them and listening to them when my mother came, and, and she told them what she thought, <laughs> you know, and, and what she thought the Bible said, what she believed the Bible said. And God has used my mother as a witness to bring many people, well, some people, to Christ. Uh, so there is the confrontational method. Then there is the testimonial method, where you talk about what God has done in your life. People are interested in hearing stories. And when you talk about your story, um, that could open the door to presenting the gospel. And they, one of the examples of this is the blind man who... Um, who was told by the apostles, by, by the Pharisees, that Jesus was not a good man. And his response was, whether he's a good man or not, one thing I know, once I was blind, but now I can see. He shared his testimony, told the people what, they knew, what he knew Christ had done in his life. Then there is the invitational. And this is the, the example of this. There are many examples, and Andrew is one of them. The, the invitation that these people use in that book is the woman of Samaria. The woman of Samaria went to her people and said, listen, look at this man who, who has told me all the things that I have done. Um, and, and, there are, and we can do that. The churches can, uh, we can invite people to come to our churches. 
the church that I grew up in, that I not grew up in, but that I'm presently in, um, was uh, when we went, there were no members. Then there were about four of us, leaders. Uh, and then little by little, little by little, the, the church began to grow. And it grew by people inviting their friends to church. That's the way the church grew. So, so invitational, especially if there's something special or something like that that you can, um, that you can uh, invite a person to, the invitational method. Then there is the interpersonal method or the friendship method, which was the method of Matthew. When Jesus called him, he called his friends, his fellow, um, his fellow tax collectors, and they had a party, and Jesus was there. And he was able to meet these people, the, the friendship, using our friendship uh, to, to help people. And then the ministry of service. And here the example is Dorcas. You remember the lady in Acts uh, who, when she died, uh, all these people would, were, were talking about the things that she had done for them. And doing things for people, uh, she had opened the door for the gospel to go out. So we all have a style maybe more than one style, that we can be using to bring people within the sound of the gospel. So witness, number three, witness. And then chapter one, uh, chapter eight, um, and we, we, uh, we are told that one of these people who was scattered was, um, Samaria, uh, was, uh, was uh, um, Philip. And he went and proclaimed the gospel in Samaria. And, uh, and we are told that there was great joy in that city. Verse, verse 8 of chapter 8. So there was much joy in the city. Because century old barriers had been broken by the gospel of Christ. And that's one of the wonderful things about the gospel, how the gospel breaks barriers. Um, during the time of the war, the most precious ministry that I had was in the north and the east. I'm from the south. I'm a Sinhalese. And the Sinhalese army was battling the Tamil uh, people. And every year, I went to all our centers, almost all, usually. Uh, I went to almost all our centers in the north and the east. And... Uh, sometimes uh, the, the only Sinhalese they meet are people they don't like, the army or the police. And here I am as a preacher, coming as their brother in Christ, and the barriers are broken, and we celebrate. It's a joyous time when barriers are broken, and the gospel uh, breaks these things. Uh, Peter and John had to come because they were so surprised what, at what had happened, and they came and they had to approve what happened in Samaria. And then in chapter 10, uh, a, a greater barrier, the barrier with, with uh, the, the Gentiles is broken as Peter goes and um, he preaches the gospel and Gentiles are converted. And in chapter 15, they have this big debate and at that uh, conference, uh, the, the, the doctrinal backing is given for the breaking of barriers through the death of Christ. It's not easy. Uh, people have to break ground. And when they do this, some will question. Some will be enraged by this. Uh, the, 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 most of the members in my church are very poor people. And you know, it's very interesting that some of these people, even though they are very poor, 
they would say, oh, if those people come to church, we won't come to church. You know, they like their church to be with people whom they like. But that's not the way God made the church. Um, because barriers are broken through the cross of Christ. Um, and, um, you know, I, I saw um, uh, uh, the board outside one of these churches once, uh, and it said, a person is known by the company he keeps. And the first thought that came to me when I saw that was, tax collectors and sinners. Jesus kept the company of tax collectors and sinners. He went to people who you would least expect. In fact, the tax collectors were not allowed to go to church. They were disbarred from membership in the synagogue. And Jesus kept company with them. The gospel goes out as we go to people whom, whom we are separated from through some sort of barrier. And this again is seen uh, in our fifth uh, aspect of the growth of the church. Uh, in chapter 9, Saul is converted. And in, in, in uh, verses 10 to 17, Ananias is go, asked to go and visit uh, Saul. And this is number five, where you leave, uncomfort, you leave comfortable situations in obedience to Christ. And so, Paul, uh, Ananias says, but Lord, this is the man who had come to, to arrest us, to give us trouble. But God said, you better go because I have plans for this man. And he obeyed. Must have been difficult for him. He must have been very afraid. But the first words that Saul heard from a Christian were, brother. Brother Saul. And Ananias welcomed Saul by going to that uncomfortable place. Same with Peter. When he got this vision and he was told to eat this food, he said, never, Lord. By no means, Lord. But God said, no, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And he, God teaches him and he obeys. And the church questioned him, what have you done? But he went. You know, from the same city of Joppa, Jonah went to a place in disobedience to God. He didn't want to go. Um, Peter went in obedience to God and, the, and opened the door for Gentiles to come to Christ. So God calls us often to do things that we are uncomfortable with. And there are some who disobey, some parents who teach the stories of the great missionaries to their children. When their daughter says, I want to go to this place as a nurse, the same mother who told the story of Amy Carmichael and these great heroes of the church would say, not you. You cannot go. That's not for you. But, um, but so some uh, disobey. Some obey unhappily. Like, uh, like Jonah, uh, who went obedient but unhappily. And others obey wholeheartedly. Um, there, there were some, uh, about six uh, young, newly married missionaries who left from England to go to the Fiji Islands. Um, they were Methodist missionaries. James Calvert was their leader. And when they got onto the ship, the, uh, the captain of the ship said, you will die if you go among these savages because the people of Fiji at that time were cannibals. 
you will die. And uh, James Calvert said, we died before we came here. They had died to their comfort because they knew God had called him and they went. They were living sacrifices. When David Livingston was told about all the sacrifices he made and somebody said, Dr. Livingston, you must have sacrificed a lot to be a missionary. We are told that Livingston got upset and he said, sacrifice? The only sacrifice is to live outside the will of God. You know, people often tell me, you must have sacrificed a lot to stay in Sri Lanka in the midst of all the problems and all of that. And I tell them, my goodness, I have made no sacrifice at all. Because if you are outside God's will, you're unhappy. And when you're in God's will, there is the joy of doing. But the ruler of the universe wants you to do. I had a friend um, who had a cousin uh, who was a communist. He was a card-carrying communist. And this person talked to this communist about Christ. And uh, he said, oh, I'm not interested. And then he said, uh, finally, when he was continuing to persuade him, uh, to, 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 to talk to him, he said, okay, I'll come for your meetings, but you must come for my small group, my cell group, my communist cell group. And so in order to win this communist to Christ, this young man went for the communist cell group. And in keeping with the bargain, the communist youth came to Youth for Christ. And he came for about six or seven years before he became a Christian. And I still remember, he was part of my youth club, and then I had gone to the States to study, and I got a letter for him. I still remember that letter. I am now a Christian. That was about 36 years ago. Last month I met him. He's still a Christian, walking with God. But there was a friend who was willing to go to a place he was uncomfortable with in order to preach the gospel. You know, some people say, I, I, I'm looking for a church where I'm comfortable in. I wonder where in the Bible you find that the church is a comfortable place. I don't see that. The church is a place for people who have taken the cross. And the cross is a thing of suffering, is a symbol of suffering. So leaving comfortable situations in obedience to Christ. And then in chapter 9, we are told that, um, that in verse 15, um, God tells Ananias, he is an instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Special, unique vessels chosen for a special work. Now, all of us are not called to be prominent ministers of the gospel, but some are. And we should pray for them because they are special uh, attacks, targets of Satan. And, um, and they need our prayers. When I think of our part of the world, I think of people like Sadhu Sundar Singh, uh, or in China, John Sung, or in the West, people like D.L. Moody, or Billy Graham, or John Stott, people who are prominent, who were recognized as representatives of Jesus all over the world. So this was another of the people, the things that God used in a prominent spokesperson for Christ who, who went forward. Then, uh, chapter 9 and verse 17, uh, the ministry of encouragement. I'm not going to talk about this because on Wednesday I'm going to give a whole message on that, as you see that in the book of Acts, 
but but um, missions is often propelled by people who will encourage others to go on i think of um, uh, g campbell morgan uh, when i was a young person he was my favorite writer he used to write bible studies and he was a great bible teacher probably the greatest bible teacher of his time he was a member of the methodist church and in our system in the methodist church we have trial sermons and um, and if you don't do well in the sermon you can't be a preacher and poor martin lloyd um, not martin he he martin lloyd jones uh, went to the same church after he finished after campbell morgan finished uh, campbell morgan failed his trial sermon and when he went and saw that his name was missing among those who had passed he was really heartbroken and he sent a letter to his father a telegram it was no phone calls those days sent a telegram to his father and all it said was rejected immediately the father wrote back rejected on earth accepted in heaven and martin Lo- uh, and g campbell morgan <clears throat> got strength from that word from his father and he continued to dream about ministry and of course he joined the congregational church and became one of the great preachers of his era just words of encouragement a letter a phone call a text message i was praying for you today and and things like that encourage those who have been called to serve god and then number 8 side supporters this is uh, peter he's going to the home of cornelius and he takes six brothers to accompany him on the journey now these were not you know known people we don't know who they were they are but they were a key to making this great leap forward in the history of the church because when peter came back and told the story of how gentiles had been converted these six brothers attested to the reality of what had happened they contributed by simply being there i have a pastor friend uh, in sri lanka uh, and whenever he comes for a meeting there's an older not whenever very often when he comes for meetings there's an older gentleman who comes with him and he's just there seated beside this uh, this person and i found out that this man this older gentleman had taken it as his calling from god to support his pastor and to go with him and pray with him pray for him wherever he goes and so he's a retired person he would go with the pastor and he'll just be there praying for the pastor and uh, and and you know uh, traveling preachers sometimes have colleagues maybe the colleague is a big businessman you know who's having a huge job but it seems as if he's wasting time but no you may not be speaking but you're supporting something great that is going on side supporters then we have in chapter 9 as uh, our ninth part uh, in in chapter 11 unknown pioneers you know uh, chapter 11 verses 19 to 21 talks about how people who had been scattered in connection with Stephen uh, Luke looking back connects the start starting of the church in antioch 
to the death of Stephen. And he says, some of them in Antioch preached the gospel to Greeks also. And the first great church, the first church of the, the Greeks was formed. Uh, William Barclay calls this one of the greatest steps in the history of the world. Who are these pioneers who started this work of starting a Gentile church? We are not told, we are told where they came from, but we are not told their names. They are not people whose names were known by the church so that it merited inclusion in the book of Acts. But these unknown pioneers did this great work. You know, when we get to heaven and we see the great works that people have done, one of the great surprises I think we are going to get is how unknown people did hugely significant work. Some of us who are preaching in public know very well that in heaven, our wives are going to have a much greater place because the work they do is very often much more significant than the work that we do and is so important to the work that we do. Unknown pioneers. And then in chapter 11, this church has grown and, um, and people have become, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the church in Antioch has, uh, has, has, has become a thriving church. And Agabus, the prophet, comes and says, there's going to be this famine in Israel. And then the church takes money, collects money, and sends the money to Israel. Now what has happened? The donor-receiver distinction has been broken. Jerusalem sent the gospel to Antioch, and Antioch sent money to Jerusalem. Partnership has been born. And ever since that day, missions has been a story of partnership. It's not people who are giving and others who are receiving, but both groups give. As Paul said when he was going to Rome, he wants to, um, to give them some blessing so that he will receive from them a blessing so that they will be mutually encouraged. So the church in Antioch started giving to missions. Later we find a poor church in Macedonia, in 2 Corinthians, becoming an example of generous giving for the church. Then point 11, intercessory prayer. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that because tomorrow I'll be talking entirely about prayer. But uh, Peter is in prison and the church, this is chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, James has been killed. Peter is in prison, possibly he's going to be killed too, they would have thought. And and then we are told, uh, but earnest prayer was made for him in the church, by the church. And then verse 7 says, behold, an angel came. There is a connection between Peter being in prison and the but of the church praying and the behold of the angel who came and took these people out. So, uh, intercessory prayer. And then chapter 12, releasing the best. This church in Antioch is fasting and worshipping God when God speaks to them and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have given to them. Now there was a lot more work to do in Antioch. Antioch wasn't entirely reached. But God says, 
send your best too for the work of missions. That's how important reaching the unreached is. Right through the history of the church, some of the best went to the unreached. Now sadly today the church has been influenced by the world in, me- in, in developing measures of vocational fulfillment. And, and when you think of a great preacher, a good minister, you often associate that with the size of the congregation. You see somebody in a small congregation and say, oh, he's too great a minister to be in this small congregation. What if a great person is called to go to the unreached? And after four years of laboring, this great preacher, he has five people in his congregation. Himself, his wife, his colleague, and the colleague's wife, and one convert. And yet, that is the way the word has gone. Because difficult tasks need capable people. And so sometimes the best people are sent. And so we should be very careful about measuring success and significance by earthly measures. I have a brother who was climbing as a doctor in America. And he's the eldest in our family. And uh, at a very young age, he had been uh, elected to the fellow, as a fellow of the American College of Physicians. And he seemed, his career path seemed to be going up and up and up. And then Sri Lanka was going through this terrible war. And he felt that God was telling him, come back to Sri Lanka. And so he gave up everything, came to Sri Lanka, and they didn't accept his specialist qualifications because it was in America, and it was not in their own country. And he came and he taught in a medical school, but after some time he said, I I came uh, to Sri Lanka not to teach uh, these children of rich people, I came to serve the poor. Uh, And so he offered himself to the government. The government didn't accept his qualifications. So they said, We will accept you on contract and send you to places where no one else will go. And so he would go to places where the war was going on. And he was a Sinhalese. He was sent to Tamil areas as a doctor. But what a ministry he had. I have some Muslim neighbors. And they are from one of the towns where he served. And they said, "Your, your your brother is treated like a god in our town. And this Muslim said, if he comes forward in an election, he'll be elected. (laughs) Uh, There are two of us in the ministry. My brother is a minister and I'm in Youth for Christ. But many people say the best Christian in the family is the doctor, (laughs) not the minister. Uh, One day I asked him, how about all your research? He was doing a lot of research when he was in America and uh, he had published already. Um, And I asked him, how about all your research? He said, oh, I've had to forget about all of that. But God called him to a specific task to work among a needy people. And he followed that call. So people are called to release the best. Parents are sometimes called to release their children. The day that I left uh, Sri Lanka to go to theological college was really the day that I left home. And it was very difficult for my mother. That morning she opened her Bible and for her devotions she read, Psalm 4 and verse 3. Know that I have set apart the godly for myself. And it was a word from God to say, release your son, let him go. Sometimes children 
are called to release their parents. In this congregation, we have two people um, who are the children of the minister who, under whose ministry our family really grew up in Christ, Reverend George Good. And they were, I think, teenagers when God asks them to release their parents for them to come to Sri Lanka. It must have been very difficult. But sometimes God asks people to release others so that they can do the work. Then there is sending. The church sent them, and then there is going. Uh, it's all nice to hear the call, but we have to go. And these people went. Now, isn't that exciting to see the way God works through this church? Different people doing different things. Different ways in which mission happens. Ideas, martyrdom, witness, breaking barriers, unique vessels, obediently leaving comfort zones, encouragement, side support, unknown pioneers, giving, praying, releasing, sending, going. May God help the church in Ireland to be faithful to that call. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.